Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. All right, listen up. If you've got credit card debt or you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much and right now for how much longer it looks like interest rates are starting to creep up. This could be your last chance to take advantage of these unbelievable rates. If you hurry to save with Conrad.com right now, you can be one of our next great success stories. Just like Zach and Griffin, Indiana, we hooked him up. He left us a five-star review and here's what he had to say. Derek and company made the process quick and painless. Everything was done online. No mortgage payments for two months. And when I do start paying, it'll be $500 cheaper than what I was paying. Thanks again for all of you that have helped. Being a wrestling fan has definitely paid off. Listen, don't take my word for it. Get yourself a quick quote right now. Here's the worst case. If we can't save you any money, we won't waste your time. But you don't need perfect credit to do this. You don't need any money out of your pocket to do this. And we're licensed in more than 40 states. So why wouldn't you at least take a look at SaveWithConrad.com? NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did you hear what Zach said? No payments for two months. We're talking no payments in March or April. You're done until May. Come on, find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Love talking about our friend Steven Singer, and I'll tell you the competition must really hate this guy. He just makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better, and he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every customer the perfect price. That's right. The perfect price. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Well, head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the guy sitting next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The guy next to you may be paying less. Do you want the most important purchase of your life to be based on your negotiating skills? It's not the case at Steven Singer because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? Cold, Conrad. I'm cold. It's 15 degrees below zero. 
with the wind chill, six degrees below zero without it. We got about 20 inches of snow that I was out shoveling before I got out here to do this. So I, I got my exercise in, but I'm, I'm cold as shit. Man, I am, uh, I'm fired up about today's topic. I love talking about the bad times. We have had a lot of fun talking about the good times, but man, the bad times are here. It's super brawl revenge. It's next to the last WCW pay-per-view ever. It's from Nashville, Tennessee. You're not there, but you're feverishly working on being there in a major way at this time. Right? Yeah. Um, we were, uh, I was working closely with, uh, Brian Bedall, Supreme Berg and his team over at fusion media. We were in uh, midstream, if you will, due diligence mm-hmm. is what they call it, but getting all of our ducks in a row to, uh, to make the acquisition of WCW by the new owners, as it's referred to in the show, fusion media, including myself. And we're going to have fun. We're, um, going to be covering this show. I watched it last night for the first time in like 20 years. Did you watch this show live when it happened, Derek? Uh, I do not believe I did. I may have, but I doubt it. Why not? (sighs) This isn't going to make sense to some people because everybody's process is different. I was working pretty closely with, I believe it was Ed Ferrara kind of behind the scenes. I didn't want my fingerprints directly on the product during this time. I didn't want to deal with talent at this point in time until the, and it wasn't just my idea, by the way, I think we, Brian Badal myself agreed that it would be best um, until the transaction was complete and the acquisition was complete that I not have any direct day-to-day contact influencer, what, whatever over the product. So, uh, but at the same time, you know, both Brad Siegel and I had agreed that in the interim, I would work with Ed and the creative team just to make sure things didn't continue to get worse from a creative perspective so that when we were ready to relaunch, we weren't doing it from this deep, dark sewage field hole as we would have had Russo been involved. Oh, you know, I guess we should go ahead and talk about it. You, um, you recently did an Eric fires back for adfreeshows.com and boy, you were spreading the love all around the wrestling industry. Do you want to sort of recap who you had a chance to, uh, I think you described it as eviscerate on Twitter. Yeah, eviscerate is a good word. It's one of my favorite words, and I think it aptly describes my response to some of the public comments that people like Ken Patera and Vince Russo and Jim Cornette and J.J. Dillon have made. And I want to make this really clear. I don't. I don't seek these things out. I don't live to go back and eviscerate people who have taking it upon themselves to take shots at me in the media. But the Eric Fires Back program, as popular as it is on ad-free shows, and I think you told me the other day it is one of the most requested mm-hmm. um, programs, segments, uh, that we do on adfreeshows.com, and where, where you you and your team, you know, go back and you dig up all these publicly, you know, public comments that people have made about me, in shoot interviews or whatever other format. 
and I respond to them. And, and I, I took great pleasure in responding to Vince Russo, the, the Andrew Cuomo of the industry. Uh, and, and it was fun. You know, I, I, I kind of, it's a weird thing because I always go, oh, I'm not really excited about doing that because it, I get into a state of mind that I'm not necessarily comfortable in. I don't yeah. like being angry. I don't like being nasty just for the fun of it. But when I hear these comments, it brings out either the best or worst in me, depending on your perspective. But I enjoyed it. It was fun. I got done. It was like it was like a cleansing. You know, it was like right. when people go on a juice diet to to cleanse their body of toxins and waste material and and all kinds of the crud that generally makes you feel bad. And you're not even sure you feel, why you feel bad, but you just know you do. And occasionally when I do an Eric fires back, I have that same sense of cleansing and I feel lighter and more energetic. So I, I appreciate doing it. I just don't like to do it too often. Well, we enjoy coming here every single week and talking about old wrestling today's topic. As we said, super brawl revenge, 2001 went down February 18th at the Nashville municipal auditorium. The show drew 4,395 fans, which looked good on TV since the building was cut down to 6,000 capacity. Only 3,100 were paying fans though. And the gate is a measly $87,133. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, we're just a couple of years removed from nearly million dollar gates. And now here we are down 10 times more than 10 times. It's unbelievable. The the fall of this company at this point, is it not? Yeah, it, it really is. And it was a combination of a couple of things, you know, um, First and foremost, you know, I know people don't like hearing about this all the time, but WCW was on the chopping block on the chopping block with regard to Time Warner. Yeah. Certainly at this point, AOL, even many executives in Turner Broadcasting who now realize that Ted Turner was no longer calling the shots at Turner Broadcasting. Ted Turner was the only thing that kept WCW from the chopping block going all the way back to probably 1992. Um, with Ted out of the picture, there were some financial shenanigans, some shady business. Read Guy Evans' book. If you don't believe me, the incredible rise and the fall of Nitro and WCW's Ted Turner's WCW, whatever the title was, I forget it now, but go back and read that. If you don't want to take my word for it, and I don't blame you just because of all the narrative floating around out there in the universe, but go read the book because God did a great job interviewing the key executives who were instrumental in pulling the wheels off WCW long before this event. But that was one big factor that probably started in late 1998. By 2001, it was WCW was terminal by this point from a corporate perspective. They were ready to pull the plug and looking forward to doing it, by the way. Um, That's one. Um, My own lack of focus probably throughout the early part of 1999, my lack of, I just wasn't on my game creatively. All of the things that got us to the dance that made Nitro such a huge success that changed the industry forever to this day, 
all of the great things that were happening in WCW over the course of from 95 throughout, throughout 98, really, um, my head was no longer in the game that helped create this environment. Uh, bringing in Vince Russo was probably the nail in the coffin. It made things as bad as they were before I left in 99 Russo made them worse. If that's even no one would have thought possible, but Russo was able to figure out a way to do it. So this was really resurrecting the dead by this date in 2001. Let's uh, let's keep it going here because we've got a lot to talk about, about the financials of this show. We talked about what a measly gate it was 87 grand. Well, the buy rate is brutal 0.15, which means only about 70,000 people bought the show. Weirdly, it's not a decrease from the previous year. Super brawl in 2000 also did about 70,000 buys. At its height, Super Brawl 9, back in 99, drew 485,000 buys. So process that. 99, 485, 2000, 70,000, 2001, 70,000. We hit the fucking iceberg, did we not? It's just, you know, and you, you hear those numbers today and, you know, I don't, it's hard. I don't even know. Perhaps you do, because I don't follow this stuff uh, as closely as I used to when analyzing the industry was important to me. I don't know what WWE does for buys in today's environment. Do you, Conrad? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, they don't do a ton. They they do like 30 and 40,000, but that's because everybody's getting it on the network. WrestleMania. Right. Will and it's more. hard to account for the network, right? If, so if, they're still watching the pay-per-view, but. If you go with they're AEW, purchasing. they're doing just over a hundred thousand buys and that's, consi- okay. that's considered good. And that's, that's a strict pay-per-view buy. That's not streaming. There's no other platform. So you can look at the AEW buy rate and say, that's what they did on a pay-per-view. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So in 1999, which was not a good year for WCW 97, 98 were but 99, 485,000 buys in what I would consider, and most would agree, was not the best WCW creative. Right. It's amazing to think about. But it also, I think, illustrates just how, I don't want to, fickle isn't the right word because it implies an audience that doesn't care, but It's so easy to lose an audience. It's hard to get one, but man, it's easy to lose them. And I think this illustrates it. 99, 485,000 buys, 2,000, 70,000 buys, 2,001, 70,000. That's just hard to comprehend. But like I said, I think it's a perfect three-dimensional illustration of what happens if you don't satisfy your audience, they will, they will leave in droves. And I've referenced this before a good friend of mine, Gary Considine. I still talked to Gary, talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Gary was the executive uh, executive producer of the tonight show for NBC for a long time. Big wrestling fan, by the way, was instrumental in making the whole Jay Leno thing happen and all the other stuff that we did with NBC back in the day. And I'll never forget sitting in Gary's office. And he said, Eric, You know, the audience votes with their remote. And once they vote and decide that they no longer like your product, 
they're not coming back. It's just almost impossible to get them to come back. It's easier to build that audience and attract them than it is to attract them, lose them, and then get them back. So this was, uh, I think this proves Gary's point without any question. If you're a business owner, you don't need me to tell you that running a business is tough, but you might be making it harder on yourself than is actually necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and the old software you've no doubt outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save both time and money with NetSuite. Join over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. That's netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. The tagline for the show is a path of destruction, a night of vengeance. Uh, this one is actually subtitled revenge. Unlike any other super brawl, uh, it may have been named after the old video game. Let's talk about the poster. We feature Scott Steiner, Goldberg, sting, Sid vicious and Booker T only Scott Steiner is actually here though. How far in advance are pay-per-view poster campaigns and things like that handled? in the late nineties and early two thousands. Like you'd have to have them all this material. How many months ahead of time? Three to four, you know, ideally that's what the pay-per-view companies wanted because again, the pay-per-view companies, direct TV dish, whomever, they were the ones that were marketing the product in the local markets. So if you were living where you live in Huntsville, for example, you know, WCW or excuse me, WWF or WCW back in 90 or 2001, we would be marketing the show on the network, on television, we would be driving buys as best we could on our television show. We would probably do some um, promotion on radio in certain markets. We might buy media in, you know, in key markets, we would buy media, but predominantly the promotion for any pay-per-view, the largest portion of it, at least in WCW's case, was done by the pay-per-view companies themselves. They were the ones that were telling Conrad Thompson, hey, Conrad, you know, there's a pay-per-view coming up. Tune in, watch it, DirecTV. That's where probably 75% of the promotion for these pay-per-views came from was through DirecTV and people like them. But in order for WCW to take advantage of that promotion and to keep that relationship healthy with the DirecTV companies of the world, you had to meet their deadlines in terms of collateral materials, collateral being things like posters and matchups and spots and all that kind of things that we had to produce. So probably three to four months was what the ask was. Um, WCW got pretty good at that by 96 and 97 and 98. And then things started getting pretty sloppy again around 99 and meaning sloppy, meaning, 
we would get them posters or we get the match information that wouldn't hold up by the time the pay-per-view came around, as we saw here. Uh, and that had a really adverse effect. And I'm sure that's what happened here. Probably back four months before this pay-per-view, Vince Russo and whoever was in Ed Ferrara and company were sitting around going, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. But by the time we got to February, all, all the plans had changed. I also want to mention this show is not released on VHS. It's the only super brawl. That's not besides super brawl four. I get why super brawl here. This revenge show wasn't released on home video because the company was sold. And I know this is a long shot. Any chance you remember why super brawl 94 was never on VHS. we got a bunch of questions about this. No, I don't. And I'd like to find out myself. There obviously was a reason, but I don't know off the top of my head what it is. We tracked, and I, you know, you'd have to talk to, uh, we'd probably have to talk to Sharon Sedello. Mike Weber may possibly have some recall on that, but it would have been a, it would have been a Sharon Sedello kind of an issue. So she'd be the person that would know. Yeah. Maybe that becomes, uh, somebody I need to sit down with for conversations with Conrad. Oh Eric, God. As, as you and I record this, um, it's Valentine's day tomorrow, but when everyone hears this, it will actually be Valentine's day or the day after. And the Jim Crockett interview has dropped on a scale of one to 10. How historically significant do you think that is the Jim Crockett promo? Yeah. Look, if you, I mean, put it in context, you know, Jim Crockett promotions was the, it was the birth if you will, of WCW, although WCW was born out of Jim Crockett promotion promotions, had there not been a Jim Crockett promotions, there would not have been a WCW. There not, would not have been a nitro. There would not have been a Monday night wars. There would not be in my estimation, a WWE as we know it today, you know, and it's, you, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes, you know, with a statement like that, but I, in my life, not just with regard to wrestling, but let me give you an example that, you know, I would not have met you had it not been for Bruce Pritchard. Right. I wouldn't be doing this podcast had it not been for Bruce Pritchard. I would not be doing some of the other business I'm doing with you had it not been for Bruce Pritchard. I would have never met Bruce Pritchard had it not been for WCW. I, I mean, my life would be completely different today. Yeah. I don't know where I would have been. I don't know if it would have been better or, or worse. I suspect it would have been worse uh, or certainly way different, but it all started, you know, it's, it's like a spider web. You know, you can look at all the different, you know, parts of a spider web, but when you follow that web, it all goes back to the center. And where that spider decided to start that weaving that web and the web of WCW. And in my opinion, it's just me, the success of WWE, the product that we see today, the fact that AEW is on TNT, all of that goes back to the center of that web, which was Jim Crockett promotions. And by the way, I'm referring to it as a web, and I don't mean that in a derisive manner. Yeah. Like I said, it would not, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. If it wasn't for Jim Crockett promotions, that's how significant it is. It's unbelievable. Well, we're winding it down here. The, uh, estimated average attendance in January, 2000 
is 3,593 fans. The average in January of 2001, 2,342 fans. This is a huge drop, you know, 3,500 a year prior seems shockingly low, but 2,300 man, you're like a, you're like a big independent promotion at that point. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's hard to comprehend, you know, cause in my mind, at least, you know, and this is where your mind plays funny tricks on you, especially over long periods of time in my mind. What I remember was, you know, 15, 20,000, you know, people in a, in attendance was kind of like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No big deal. That's what you become. You, you, you come to expect it. Yeah. You get very used to it. Yeah. You take it for one, takes it for granted in a way until you no longer have it. And then you go, wow, what the hell happened? And that's what we're trying to uh, examine today. You know, we always say here on the show, context is King. So again, your average attendance here in WCW in January of 2001 was 2342 that same month for the world wrestling federation, 12,263. Mm. Well, and again, let's, you know, kind of, let's revisit this a little bit, you know, kind of take a, a macro view of the wrestling industry. If you will, when was it in late 1997 that Vince McMahon woke up, had a cup of coffee and said, okay, the shit I've been doing for the last, whatever, 15 years is no longer working. I have to do what WCW is doing, meaning targeting a male 18 to 49 year old audience instead of kids two to 11. They made their shift to what they called the attitude era, which I refer to as really the nitro era. Yeah. And then started targeting an 18 to 49 year old demo. And we still hear today. You know, people in the peripheral media focusing on that 18 to 49 year old demo. Well, guess what? Who started that? That would be me with Nitro. When I realized that I couldn't compete with the WWF as they were targeting kids 2 to 11, I had to move to 18 to 49. Well, when WWF, when Vince McMahon woke up in November 1997 and realized he could no longer lead the way with his formula, he had to jump on the bandwagon that was created for him by yours truly and the team at Nitro. But when he did it, he did it in a big, powerful way. And it worked. And that audience that was a nitro audience, that male 18 to 49 year old audience that we owned from 95 through 96 through 97 through 98, really, up until the middle or end of 98, we owned that audience. But that audience then went, we're no longer buying the WCW thing, the Nitro thing. We like what they're doing over here better because, you know, they were giving birth in the middle of the ring and there were women being walked around to choke dog collars on their hands and knees and, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin is cracking beers and chugging them in the ring and flipping people off. That was a lot cooler content than what WCW was doing in 99, in 2000, and certainly into 2001. So that shift of audience, that that audience that Nitro really owned and controlled for a number of years, they grabbed their remote, just like Gary Considine, former executive producer of The Tonight Show, said they would. They grabbed their remote and they went, eh, and they never came back. So by now you know that Eric and I absolutely love our dogs. I'm posting pictures of my dogs, Ginger and Baby, on Instagram all the time over at Hey Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. 
Of course, at E. Bischoff on Twitter is where you'll see pictures of his dog, Nikki, all the time. And let me give you a little pro tip. Solid gold is the way to go if you really love your dog. Did you know that up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut? Or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies? Solid Gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. Solid Gold was the first holistic pet food company in America, started back in 74 by Sissy McGill. You see, Sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted a male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food before it was cool. Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes live longer than their American counterparts. Her first recipe, Hundenflocken, has now provided high-quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact our pets' mind, body, and spirit. For over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, supplements like sea meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. Solid Gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods, they balance with living probiotics, and they fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids. They all support gut health and nourish your pet inside and out. Eric and I really believe in this. So does Bruce, by the way. Right now, to see the Solid Gold Deal of the Week, go to solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks. That's solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks to see the deal of the week. Remember, solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks. Let's talk about actual dollars. January 2001, the average gate here, $63,823. The average gate that same month for the WWF, $401,133. What's amazing to me is your gate numbers from 2000 to 01 are down 26.3%. Do you want to guess how much the WWF is up? 26.8%. Now I'm not saying those two are exact correlations, but it is a little ironic that when you look at the actual revenue from paying customers, one falls 26%, the other rises 26%. And I think that's a perfect illustration of what I said earlier, a few moments ago, the, I mean, it was not a gradual shift. It was not something that happened over. I mean, it did happen over time, but a relatively short period of time, the audience went from one directly to the other. Let's, uh, let's talk about some other things that are happening behind the scenes, especially in regards to ratings. That's been really the topic of this entire feud between both companies or the Monday night wars, the average Monday night rating in January of Oh one had actually fallen about 20% for the WWF. Meanwhile, WCW had fallen 24%. So that shows a picture, at least on television, wrestling fans in mass are turning it off. WCW is doing an average of 2.35 and considering where they were once before, you know, it's just sad to see something that was once so huge now, not again, because the story of WCW is not just, Hey, it was great. And then it was down. It was down like way down in the red 
and comes out and makes this huge profit. And then, as you said, very quickly, the story of WCW is one. I don't think we'll ever get tired of discussing or analyzing. Do you agree? Well, I, and I think we should, we should study it because I think there's lessons. There's, there are a lot of lessons, you know, g- great lessons and not so great lessons, you know, successes and failures that can be applied and learned from and should be studied to this day by WWE and by AEW and by impact wrestling and by anybody else who wants to compete in this genre uh, on a major level, you know, there are lessons to be learned. And that's one of the reasons I love going back and, and doing this with you because I can as objectively as I can. And I admittedly, I'm not hundred percent objective. It's I'm a human being. A lot of this I was involved with, but as objective as I can be, I love stepping back and really being able to see with, with a much clearer perspective, the decisions, the choices, the strategies, creative and otherwise, that worked and those that didn't work. And I think learning from the ones that didn't work is maybe a more valuable opportunity than learning from the ones that did. I think that's always true in business or fighting. I mean, you often hear professional fighters say, they learn more from a loss than a win because it exposes holes in their game and they know what to work on. But if you just keep winning all the time, you don't really change what you're doing. You don't really grow. You just keep doing what you did last week because it won. But I think that's uh, that's true of everything. Don't you? I do. And it's, you know, one of the reasons that I, I, I tell my kids, you know, whenever we have these types of conversations about choices they're about to make or, dreams they have or goals they have is I, I, and I tell anybody that'll listen, don't be afraid to fail. I think be, fear of failure is probably responsible for holding more people back than lack of education or lack of talent or lack of money or lack of anything else. It's fear. And, and you don't really, some, sometimes one doesn't recognize fear as fear because it can be a little voice in the back of your head that talks you out of trying certain things. But one of the things that I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, I am grateful for the failures in my life. Yeah, I really am because I've learned more from those failures than I've ever learned from my successes. Not that I want to go through life continuing to fail. Mind you, it is not an aspiration, but it's also not a fear. Because as long as I walk away with knowledge and experience that gives me a more powerful opportunity going forward in my next venture, I'm grateful for that. It's kind of like going to college. Um, and, And I can talk about, you know, mistakes that I've made and what I've learned from those mistakes. And I'm so grateful for them. You know, I would have preferred to succeed, obviously, but man, it's not like I beat myself up over a failure because I, rather than beating myself up and feeling like a, a failure, I focus on, okay, what, what do I know now that I didn't know that caused me to fail? You know, you hear me say this all, all the time. And I say it to anybody that will listen to me, especially my family, know what you don't know. Yep. Before you make any big decision, know what you don't know. It's easy to make a decision or make a choice or statement that you feel passionate or excited about. 
But if you don't know 100% of what you're talking about, you need to fill some holes before you go, you know, jumping off the ledge and making big decisions. And I, whenever I, you know, whenever I make a bad choice, whenever I make a bad investment, whenever I make a bad decision, and I, I sit back and go, okay, that was a train wreck. How do I not do that again? Yeah. And I put a lot of value on that. I think that's good. I mean, a good thing for us all to do. Listen, at this point, things aren't hopeless though, because the uh, bright spot in WCW is Eric Bischoff's coming back and this time not to manage it, but as an owner, the press release came out about five weeks ahead of time, January 11th, 2001, something else pretty major happened that day. The AOL time Warner merger. It's literally the same day, which is in hindsight, pretty ironic. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in the future. I'm sure, but let's talk about what we've got here in the observer, uh, right. As we head towards this pay-per-view, the current storyline is to virtually eliminate the top baby faces from the roster to present diamond Dallas page as the last major survivor against Scott Steiner on the March 18th pay-per-view in Jacksonville. If there is no shutdown, most likely either on that show or perhaps on the nitro the next night in Gainesville, Florida, they'll shoot the big angle that was planned for early April by having the new owners take over and foil Ric Flair's plans by bringing back all the big stars, Goldberg, Sting, Nash, Booker T and possibly Hulk Hogan, perhaps others if deals can be made and build seven weeks of TV hype, more time than WCW has devoted for one specific show in years, the May 6th pay-per-view, which would be something of a major coming out. Uh, chat me up here, Eric, how much of that was close to the plan? How much of that is just rumor and innuendo? Um, it sounded like, you know, so often when we talk about these kinds of, uh, cover this type of coverage about WCW at the time, there was probably about 20% of that that was reasonably accurate. And the rest of it was all filler material. Uh, the idea that it was that there was some kind of plan to eliminate all the other baby faces, but diamond P- Dallas page. I'm not sure where that came from. Wasn't true. Um, was not a conversation that I had with anybody, by the way. Um, we knew Brian, Badal and I knew early on that we wanted to shut WCW. We wanted it to go away for an extended period of time. So there was no, you know, coming back in April, I don't think was a hard date that we had in mind. Um, we wanted WCW to go away for as long as possible. Now, granted, that wouldn't have been six months or eight months. It would have been fine with me had it been, because I, I do think that absence makes the heart grow fonder. The longer we were off TV, the easier it became for people to forget about all the silliness and baggage that occurred, all, all the bad booking, all the bad creative, all the bad strategy, the you know Judy Bagwell on the pole shit. You know, all that stuff would have been easier for an audience to forget the longer we had gone away. If we were only off the air for two or three weeks, eh, eh, not that big a deal. But um, I don't recall, and I'm not sure. It's not that I don't recall it. I don't think we ever had a firm date for our return to TV once we went into the shot, once we went into the shutdown, especially at this point in February. Let's, uh, let's keep it rolling here. I also want to remind just to add some context. It's not just WCW in trouble. ECW is going down. They've been struggling in a major way. 
Their TV airs for the last time on December 30th. They run a pay-per-view on January 7th and they have another pay-per-view set for March 11th. But of course we know whatever going to actually get there. I know you were worried about WCW and taking care of all of that, but were you paying any attention to what was happening with ECW? Zero. Zero, which was consistent with the amount of time I spent thinking about ECW throughout my career. I just, I mean, I knew it existed and don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on it. It's just, it didn't, whatever happened or didn't happen in ECW did not affect my plans in any way, shape or form. So it just wasn't something that, you know, required any of my attention. Lance storm had a column on his website during this era, and he was talking about how he had heard. ECW talent being offended at the idea of WCW asking them to do a tryout match before hiring them. I know that none of that ever actually wound up happening, but does that seem like something that would have been par for course? Because you were routinely hiring guys from ECW without quote unquote tryout matches, right? Um, yeah, we had been up to that point. I don't know where Lance got that from. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Somebody could, it could have been a Terry Taylor conversation or Kevin Sullivan conversation or any conversation with anybody that was in WCW that had contact with ECW. It certainly didn't come from me. Um, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. You'd have to ask Lance where he heard that from because it's, this is news to me. Let's talk about another, uh, failure. It feels like every time we've brought up WWF, we're just talking about how they're up, up, up. Well, Vince McMahon's going to be taking an L here with the XFL, uh, from week one to week two, the audience dropped from 15 million to 6 million. Uh, and then it dropped again, the third week to 4.78, um, way, 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 way less than what they were expecting. Were you paying any attention as a, you know, someone who was interested in what Vince was doing, I'm sure. And your TV guy. And it's certainly in that era aspired to be a TV guy. Any, any gut feeling on, on what you remember about the XFL sort of fumbling right out of the gate. I, I was watching it pretty close. I was fascinated by it. I was excited about it to be, to be fair uh, or honest. Um, I had my own, just like I did on the second go around. I had the same concerns. The second, no, I think the reason that W or excuse me, XFL didn't work. The the version 2.0 didn't work. Were entirely different than what Vince experienced in version 1.0. Um, my issue, my my feeling when when XFL was a, was announced was that football is a seasonal sport. People have been conditioned for decades upon decades to look forward to fall football, not spring football. And I think in my mind, and I'm not a, you know, you're a much bigger football fan than I am, Conrad, especially college football. Would you want to watch college football in April? Well, I'm different. Yes, I would watch it, but I understand your point. It wouldn't be the same. Yeah. I think the masses, the no, you, ma- you know, people yeah. like you who are Hardcore. you're really, you know, and I think most people in Alabama, by yeah. virtue of the success that you, you all have had in college football for so long, 
you know, it's part of your culture in Alabama. It's part of the culture in a lot of states, in Texas, perhaps. You know, football is is important in most people's lives. College, high school football, and professional football is as important a part of their cultures and their lives as many things. But the vast majority of the United States, once the Super Bowl's over, if they're really big sports fans, they're either moving into the finals or the close to the finals, closing end of the, of the NBA season, mid midseason. They're getting excited about baseball. They're getting excited about a lot of other traditionally seasonal sports. So my my instinct told me, not my experience, because I didn't have any at this point, you know, in 2001 with regard to, you know, professional sports. And, and really, I didn't have a lot of experience in television other than wrestling. But my gut instinct said, yeah, people are just not going to want to watch football in the spring, especially with a bunch of players that they didn't really know. Now, they did populate the XFL with some names, but for the most part, these were guys that were on their way to play football in Canada uh, that the, the average NFL audience probably didn't know. So I, I didn't think it was going to be successful, but my impression of Vince especially in 2001 was don't ever bet against him. I was betting on him, even though my gut told me otherwise. Uh, but I know I didn't, did I sit back and go, ha, 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 he failed. That's not my, that's not my deal. That's pretty, that's some petty shit. That's some like junior high school, petty shit. I was, I was interested. I was cautiously pessimistic because of my views on what the audience would get excited about in spring, but I was certainly not betting against Vince at that point. One last piece of, uh, context we'll touch on before we cover the actual card itself. February 18th, 2001 is, uh, the day that Dale Earnhardt died. Um, 17 million people were watching his NASCAR race when he speeding 160 miles an hour around the track there, uh, hit the retaining wall. And I remember it didn't even look quote unquote that bad. We had certainly seen so many more, uh, spectacular looking crashes where they're end over end for what feels like, you know, 40 yards or it's out of a movie. And this just didn't feel like nearly as devastating of a, of a wreck or situation, but about an hour afterwards, he's pronounced dead and he was. He was the Hulk Hogan of racing. I mean, he was the most popular in the sport. I mean, there were people who weren't quote unquote NASCAR fans, but they were Dale fans. And this happened on the same day. And I know you weren't exactly a huge NASCAR fan, Eric, but in the South and certainly where, uh, you know, WCW was based out of, and a lot of the arenas they ran NASCAR was a big deal to those wrestling fans in that area. Wouldn't you agree? No, they were. And, you know, I want to, you know, clarify my position on NASCAR. While I wasn't a big fan of watching it on television, because I think as a television property, I I, I never understood it and still don't. Um, I love going to the live events. Right. Live events are an experience. You can smell it. You can feel it as the cars go by. It rumbles in your chest. You can feel it in your feet. The excitement, the enthusiasm, you know, a live NASCAR event was something that I enjoyed going to. We sponsored a NASCAR, a Bush car. Um, and I went to a number of races around the country um, and loved every second of it. I loved live. I watched, in fact, I was watching NASCAR the day um, Dale Earnhardt died. Um, 
and I remember it very vividly. Um, I was watching it primarily because I was trying to figure out why people liked watching it on television. I was looking for the things that as a non-televised NASCAR person, clearly recognizing that uh, lots of people around the country did like watching it on television because there was a point in time when you couldn't walk into any restaurant or bar anywhere in the country, including New York and California, and not where, where you would not typically expect to find NASCAR fans. It's the only reason to point that out. You couldn't walk into a sports bar anywhere in the country and not see NASCAR in one way, shape, or form. And I was trying to figure out why. Because to me, it, it when you can't smell it, when you can't feel it, when you can't really hear it the same way, when you're not sitting next to people that are excited about it, it's really hard to get into. So I was looking for, I was looking for the elements that made it work. And that's why I was watching it. The next night on nitro WCW even pays tribute to him. And Meltzer would say they showed more compassion to Earnhardt than any wrestler who had died recently. Uh, but Dale Earnhardt, man, he was, he was the guy, right? He was Elvis. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're stars. There, there are legends and there's the original Elvis and, and Taylor Hart was Elvis. We're helping people across the country at SaveWithConrad.com, And what are we helping them do? Keep more of their own money. Just ask Toby in Oklahoma. We hooked him up. He gave us a five-star review and here's what he had to say. Conrad's team was able to do everything I hoped for. They helped me reduce my mortgage term by 13 years, paid off my car and credit cards and drop my interest rate significantly. Now, who doesn't want to do that? Do you want a better interest rate? Yes. Would you like to pay off all your credit cards? Just like that. Of course. Wouldn't it be cool to pay off your car? Oh, and by the way, pay your house off 13 years faster. Are you kidding? It sounds too good to be true, but we're doing it every single day at SaveWithConrad.com for families just like you. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. It really is a fast and easy quick quote. What have you got to lose? What if you could save 13 years? What if you could pay off your car? What if you could knock out all your credit cards? Hurry. These rates won't last forever. And I want to help you make sure your debt doesn't last forever either. Go to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's right. You can pocket your house payments for the next two months at SaveWithConrad.com. Let's get to the show. Super Brawl, we're finally here. The show, surprisingly, got 70% thumbs up, only 16.7% thumbs down, uh, 13.3% thumbs in the middle. I got to tell you, man, I, I, I turned this pay-per-view on expecting to hate it, uh, and I didn't. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were parts on that, that, that I didn't enjoy as much as others, but I was pleasantly surprised that I dug the show as much as I did. And maybe that's, maybe that's a lesson about watching shows from this era. Lower your expectations. What'd you think watching it back? I thought it was a, I thought it was a solid show yeah. on a scale of one to 10. I'd probably, yeah, 70% thumbs up. I was going to say, I'd probably give it a seven, seven and a half. Seven and a half. It was a very, there were very few things that made me, you know, want to throw up in my mouth. 
Um, in fact, nothing really made me, nothing bothered me all that much. There were a few things I kind of cringed at a little bit, some hokey shit. But are you going to sit down and watch two and a half hours of anybody's wrestling show, WWE's, AEW's, or anybody else's, and not go, oh, God, I could have done without that? I mean, it's just, but because we all have different tastes, you know, the same thing that I may be cringing about or find a little bit off putting. Somebody else is sitting home going, oh, that's awesome. You know, it's just like, I think the mistake that I've made, and I think we as people tend to make, is we think everybody views the product the same way we do. And they don't. So I, I have to remind myself when I go back and I watch these shows, you know, there's some things that I just don't like. But that's because of the way I look at wrestling. Somebody else sitting next to me could look at it completely different and dig it. But For me personally, based on my sensibilities and what I enjoy watching, I saw very few things that made me go, "Eh, I wish they wouldn't have done that. The best match poll. uh, Everybody thought it was the six way cruiserweight elimination match, which boy, we're going to talk about that one in just a moment. They liked uh, Chavo and Rey Mysterio second best. The worst match poll was Brian Adams versus Luger and Bagwell. Hugh Morris and the wall came in second place there. There was one dark match here. Chris Harris, who's going to go on to be a TNA star pins kid Romeo, who we're going to see a little bit of here in WCW, uh, the main event or not the main event. Once the actual show starts the first show on the main card or first match on the main card, easy for me to say Shane Helms is going to put on a show here in a six way cruiserweight match with Shannon Moore, Kaz Hayashi, Yun Yang, Jamie Noble, and Evan courageous. They go 17 minutes and 30 seconds. Eric, I couldn't describe this match. If I tried, uh, it gets three and a half, three and a quarter stars. There are some, some missteps. There are some botches, but by God, they took every chance in the book. This is like one of those forgotten matches. I think from WCW. I mean, there's a couple of things I want to talk about in this. First of all, Kazayashi, Yang, Jamie Noble. Shane Helms, everybody in that ring, Evan Courageous, everybody in that ring performing on that night was a result of the effort and time and vision that went into the cruiserweight division years before this. A lot of that talent was discovered by Chris Canyon. Jimmy Yang, one example. Jamie Noble, another example. Um Kazayashi was was the result of the relationship with New Japan Wrestling and Sonny Ono. So, uh, and yes, I'm taking credit for that. Not that I feel that I need it, but to put it into context and, you know, for people to remember, because we're going to talk about this more when we get to Chavo and, and um, phew, Ray. Yeah. But this match was, I mean, I wish I would have had time this morning to watch it twice. Yeah. I really, really encourage people who love the current product, whether it's an AEW or anywhere else, WWE, go back and watch these guys. Do yourself a favor so that you better understand where the current style of wrestling that so many people really enjoy. Look and see where it originated from. It didn't originate in WWE, in start in AEW, 
and it's not me. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm I'm telling you, go back and watch Kaz Hayashi. Go back and watch Jimmy Yang. Go back and watch Jamie Noble, who is by far a better performer than I realized he was watching this back today. Go back and watch Shane Helms. Go back and watch these guys put on a freaking clinic. They raised the bar of the super athletic, high-flying, fast-paced action that defined the cruiserweight division and exists in the industry today and is one of the reasons why wrestling has evolved to the state of popularity that it has. These guys deserve the credit for it. It was a clinic. Yeah. And, and yeah, there, there may have been a boss mover two and two. There were six guys in the ring for God's sake in a small ring. That was an 18 by 18 ring. That wasn't even a 20 by 20 ring. So it's a relatively small ring. The fact that there were only a few bot spots that in itself is mind boggling. But when you look at the execution, the timing, and by the way, there was psychology and story in this. It wasn't just high flying, you know, guys doing great athletic stuff. Wasn't just that there was great story within this match that included all of that high flying, fast paced cruiserweight action that has defined this industry to this day in many ways. So hats off to every one of the individuals in that ring. It was phenomenal. You owe it to yourself to go back to the WWE network, watch this pay-per-view super brawl, 2001 revenge, check this match out and you'll have a better understanding of why you enjoy what you enjoy today. And you can give thanks to every one of those guys that are in the ring for doing it. Meltzer would write the first six minutes of this was the best stuff on the show, but to give this match a high rating, one would have to ignore just how ungodly bad certain spots of the match were. I disagree. I thought it was super entertaining. Uh, I think it's worth a lot, uh, a lot of your time and it's only going to take 17 minutes and 30 seconds. So it was the best 17 minutes and 30 seconds you'll ever spend as a wrestling fan. Trust me. Tremendous. Go check it out. We've got some pre-recorded comments up here next. Hugh Morris talking about general erection as if he were a different person. Uh, the wall is Sergeant a wall has now betrayed general erection, causing the breakup. And that's going to lead us to tonight's match. We've got Hugh Morris taking on the wall, nine minutes and 43 seconds. Fans are chanting for tables. Meltzer would say some messed up looking spots when wall didn't go up or mistimed going up for Morris's lifts. The explanation is that wall had the steps dropped on him. He went out and was dead weight in those spots where Morris was supposed to lift him, which is why Morris had so much trouble picking up a 340 pound man who wasn't going up. It was very physical, but kind of sloppy. Morris wins with a moonsault and delivers a second one after the match. The first one didn't like it hit him, but it was the pin. So he delivered another for good measure. That's just my two cents. what do you think watching it back? Yeah. yeah. You know, first of all, I want to, you know, put over Hugh Morris, you know, for a man. I mean, he's a big, big, he was then and probably still is a big, big man. This was not a 220 pounder or in the case of the, the, you know, the, the cruiserweight match we saw before that where probably the average weight of those guys was 160 pounds with rocks in their pockets. Hugh Morris was a big Dude, and could he fly? I mean, he was so athletic, and I, I really want to point that out. The match itself, eh, it was a brawl. Some people love those. Crowd got into it a little bit. 
I, I have a hard time watching them. There's just nothing compelling about them to me. I think, you know, when you're involved in a brawl that lasts more than 30 seconds, it exposes yeah. a lot yeah. and kind of takes you out of the match. Um, one of the reasons I don't like backstage brawls because they just expose everything so badly. Speaking of exposing, I want to back up just one second, if I will. If you do go back and watch the pay-per-view, if you're listening to this, and I encourage you to do so, by the way, there's also a really great shot. And I want to put this over. I don't know whose idea it was. It wasn't mine. I wasn't there. Whoever it was, they had a security shot of Ric Flair talking to Chavo and Animal. And earlier on, we saw Animal take out Billy Kidman because Billy Kidman was originally scheduled to face Chavo. I don't know what the issue was there. I don't know why the change was made, but we saw Road Warrior Animal in the beginning of the show take out Kidman. And it was like, well, what the fuck did he do that for? It makes no sense. Why? Right. But they answered the question as to why, or at least teased it with the security footage. Now, I bring this up. Because one of the challenges, and it was a legitimate challenge, it's, it, it was a legitimate question that we always wrestled, no pun intended, with was, why are the cameras back here seeing this? Yes. I mean, this is really cool, but why is it that the cameras are here and the talent's not even pretending they know it? It's just fly on the wall shit. And it's a disconnect in many respects from a storytelling perspective. Unless the audience can figure out why there's a camera back there, the scene itself becomes a little bit hard to believe. This use of security footage did a great job of solving that problem. So it's a little thing. Most people won't recognize it or care one way or the other. As a producer, I thought that was a really smart way to overcome the inherent challenge of a camera just happening to be backstage while we're seeing people do shit they shouldn't do. And they know they shouldn't be doing it. Oh, and they also know everybody in the world seeing it too. Right. So this is really smart. I liked it. What'd you think of Jerry Toot, the wall? We uh, unfortunately saw him pass away. Gosh, nearly 20 years ago. Now it's 2003. So just a couple of years after this, he's no longer with us. Um, but boy, it felt like the way he started in WCW, he was going to be a real big deal. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there are some people that had a lot of, uh, he, he kind of came in as I was phasing out, so to speak. Um, I didn't really interact with him much. I never really got to know him. Never. I, if I spoke to him, it was brief and doesn't stand out in my mind. My, I mean, my opinion of him from a distance was, you know, he's a big guy, tough guy, could move, uh, but he was a brawler and, you know, I just have a hard time getting excited about people whose primary talent is as a brawler and the whole image, the gimmick that he was given. It's not his fault, by the way. I just didn't buy it. It wasn't compelling to me. And I don't mean to be um, negative about him, but you, you asked the question. I didn't find anything about Jerry other than his size and his toughness that made him appear to me, at least to be somebody that could stand out from the crowd. He could be important. He could have a role, but it would be as a supporting cast member, not as a star. Next up, we've got, uh, an interesting tag match, Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo. They're your WCW tag team champs, and they're going to be taking on Mark Jindrak and Sean Stasiak. They go 11 minutes and 37 seconds. 
I, you know, listen, I know that this probably gets beat up and cussed and discussed, but I kind of like this one. Meltzer gave it two and three quarter stars. He says, based on reports of their previous matches, which were all apparently, uh, not very good. Everyone should be real happy with this one. Stasiak actually showed the most charisma as he's ever shown in his life, a little on the interview and more in the ring, basic tag team psychology, which the old school crowd bought as Jindrak and Stasiak played heel doubling on Palumbo who hot tagged to O'Hare. And then of course they hit that big finish with uh, O'Hare's swanton bomb, which I got to say is still impressive. You and I've talked a little bit about him before, but these are sort of the next generation of WCW stars. You can tell that there's a lot of power plant in them, uh, big, tall, jacked up, good looking dudes. And they put on quite a show. I know that when I just run through who's in it, you probably think, eh, I don't know if I want to see that. The crowd was into this match. They were popping like crazy, especially for the finish, uh, which is spectacular. Anytime you see a guy O'Hare size hit that. What'd you think watching this one back for the first time in 20 years? I enjoyed the hell out of it. The only thing I didn't enjoy was Stasiak's cheap heat promo. Yeah. You know, to start the match off with. I mean, it's like, uh, that's not even wrestling one-on-one. That's like preschool, you know, heat trying to get heat. But if you take that out, I thought the match was great. I got a big kick out of watching these guys and probably because they were so young. Now, Jindrak had wrestled in WWE before, so he wasn't a power plant guy. But uh, Plumbo and O'Hare were. And see, you know, two guys with so little experience being able to go out there and have a match as good as this match was. And it was a good match. Uh, I, I, I smiled. I, I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was a, you know, it wasn't the greatest match on the card, but I'd give it a solid six and a half or seven for a tag team match. It was good psychology. There was great athleticism. There was intense, intense energy from the beginning to the middle to the end. It was believable. The characters were compelling. Um, there was nothing to really pick apart. Um, other than perhaps there wasn't a lot of really good backstory leading into the match, but that has nothing to do with the quality of the match itself. I thought it was great. It's interesting to look at those four guys too. I mean, Sean O'Hare does have a WWF run. They even put him with Piper for a minute. It felt like it just never really got any momentum. Chuck Palumbo, of course, had a great deal of success in the WWF and is even a big part of your career with that whole Chuck and Billy wedding that people still talk about to this day. Mark Jindrak was often discussed to be the original, uh, one of the original members of evolution. And then triple H called an audible and went with Batista instead. And then Sean Stasiak, who, for whatever reason, has a little bit of uh, rumor and innuendo around him, but him being a second generation guy, I don't know. I guess I just always kind of assumed he would show back up. I mean, even to this day, he's in good shape. So it's not like he was ever out of shape. Are you surprised that Stasiak didn't have a more sustained run? No, you know, there was a lack of trust. You know, the rumor and innuendo around Stasiak, as I heard it, I didn't experience it. I don't even know if it's true, but it's the elephant in the room, um, was that he had secretly recorded conversations yeah. with other talent while on the road and was found out. Hard to get anybody to trust you after a move like that. And if you don't have the trust of the people that, especially in the, in any business, in any business, nobody wants to work with someone that they don't trust. Yeah. But when you do something as 
shady. No, shady. I have to remember how to say shady. It's shady and shenanigans. When you involve yourself with shady shenanigans, like secretly tape recording people's conversations while you're on the road, the odds of you having a successful wrestling career are eh, none because nobody's going to trust you. Nobody's going to want to work with you. They'll work with you if they have to, but nobody's going to want to work with you. And some would probably avoid it. Now here's fairness. I don't know if the rumors were true. I only know what I heard. Um, but even hearing a rumor like that is enough to cause me to be really careful about what I would say around somebody like that. You know, my conversations would be, hi, how are you? Enjoying the weather? Great. Talk to you later. You know, and that's just not a healthy relationship to be able to carry forward into a professional career. As a wrestling fan, there's a good chance you might've seen one of Chris Van Vliet's interviews on YouTube. He's a TV host who's done interviews with pretty much everyone in the business, including me. He also has a podcast too. It's called insight with Chris Van Vliet. And he asks great questions and really brings out the best in his guests. This doesn't feel like your typical wrestling interview show. Chris has a really conversational style that makes it feel like two friends just catching up. Some of his guests include the rock, John Cena, Chris Jericho, Eric Bischoff, Jim Ross, Tony Khan, as well as other actors, musicians, and more. And in every episode, Chris is great at pulling out useful pieces of advice from everyone he talks to that you can apply to your own life. As mentioned, I was recently a guest and I talked about things I'd never discussed in an interview before. The people who influenced me like Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, or Gary V. What we look at when we're hiring new employees. I also gave a behind the scenes look at what goes into making all of our shows. I can't recommend Chris as an interviewer enough. I think he's one of the best in the space by far. Uh, and I really enjoy his show. Uh, I saw a great interview. He just did with TJ Wilson the other day, go out of your way to see it. His podcast is called insight with Chris Van Vliet, and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. Again, it's insight with Chris Van Vliet. And for more information, just go to Chris Van Vliet.com. That's C H R I S V A N V L I E T.com. Let's, uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about Chavo Guerrero Jr. He's going to get a win over Ray Mysterio Jr. Ray is without his mask. Instead, he's a horny little devil. He's got horns <laughs> on his head. And Chavo's going to retain here in 1554. Uh, pretty cool looking title here. I think Hurricane still has that one. Meltzer would say, aside from a couple of spots where Mysterio Jr. slipped on the ropes, this was an excellent match. Fast pace, lots of good moves, and surprisingly good heat. Mysterio Jr. got a lot of near falls and did a Hot flip dive out of the ring. The finish saw Guerrero Jr. crack him with a hard chair shot to the head and deliver a brain buster for the pin. Three and a half stars. Uh, and one fan wrote online, this is the best WCW match since the turn of the millennium. So he's saying it's the best match in 14 months. What do you think watching this one back? Ray and Chavo tear it up. This was, this one was a little bit interesting for me. I, I started out not liking it as much. No, it was a great match. Let me preface this. But I started out because of my expectations, and this is what happens sometimes. 
I'm, when I when I looked at you know when I first went on WWE Network and says okay what are we going to watch today and I said oh wow Chavo and Ray fucking awesome this is going to be great but in the context context of expecting a super super you know Ray Mysterio cruiserweight clinic type match Chavo Guerrero clinic type match that's not what this was this was more it had a slower build. It didn't start out as hot as, for example, the six-man did, which would be a typical kind of cruiserweight format uh, for a match. Didn't start out, you know, blazing. It started out more like a big man match. This was Chavo and Ray working probably more like a big man than a cruiserweight. And then once I got into it, I started liking it a lot more. And then, you know, Ray and Chavo both would start, you know, throwing, you know, or executing moves that were more consistent with what made them both big stars. And then they were satisfying that itch for me, you know, that appetite that I have to see Ray doing what Ray does so well and Chavo doing what Chavo does so well. But they use it intermittently throughout a match that was otherwise pretty much laid out and scripted to be as much of a hard hitting big man match as it was anything else. So I, by the middle or towards the end of the match, I was probably liking it as much or more than I would have had I seen what I originally expected to see, if that makes sense. Because it was a different style of match for them. It was something a little unique for them. They didn't go out and do what they always did. They did something different. And I liked it a lot. I loved the finish. But I want to go back, you know, and... As most of you know, it's funny when it's people who doesn't like its botched moves, but when it's somebody he's trying to, you know, align himself with, oh, he slipped on the ropes. Ray had a couple moves that didn't work out exactly the way he wanted to, wanted them to, to do, which is not surprising given the complexity and the risk inherent in the things that he did do so well. But what I found fascinating, and if you go to, I think it's one hour, 12 minutes, and six seconds is watch Ray as he hits the rope. He's going to attempt to do a spring off the ropes and do a split leg moonsault. And he, he just completely missed, right? Not surprisingly. No big deal, right? I'll tell you what is a big deal. Look at the way Chavo, without almost the slightest hesitation, made that work. It didn't look like a botched move. It didn't, it almost didn't look like a miss. In fact, I watched, I went back and watched it three times. That's how impressed I was with both Chavo and Ray. And I'm thinking, why doesn't that happen more often? Why shouldn't guys script that into the body of a match? Why do guys always have to hit their high risk stuff perfectly to satisfy an audience? Does Tom Brady throw does every 40 or 50 yard pass that he throws end up in a touchdown? Of course not. It's a big move. It's a high risk move and the stakes are really high and the outcome could be determined by the success or failure of a high risk move. But every once in a while they don't work and you have to pay the price for it. That's exactly what we saw at one hour, 12 minutes and where'd I go? Six seconds into this show. It's like, fuck, that was so, that was so done so well. It should be formatted occasionally, 
when it can be done properly so that when you do hit a move that's a big high risk move and it does succeed it makes it seem even more important if that makes sense so kudos to chavo and ray um for making that look like it it would be the natural part of an athletic contest not a botched move i just thought it was great and i think there was one later on in the match too but it, not going to bring it up because I made the point here. I love this match. I thought this match was great. And I, I just, I can't say enough good things about Chavo and Ray, but Chavo is one of my favorites. I, I, I just, I love Chavo. Every time I get a chance to see him, I haven't seen him since the Chris Jericho cruise last year, but I just, I, I've worked with him on some other non-wrestling projects. I just, I really dig Chavo. He's a, he's a class act. Next up, we've got Rick Steiner defending his United States championship against Dustin Rhodes and Rick gets the pin in nine minutes and 11 seconds. Meltzer would say both guys were dressed in red pants and a black shirt, which showed the company's desperate need for more care and costuming. The match had good heat and was a lot better than one would have thought. Steiner undid the padding on the turnbuckles and dropped Rhodes onto it for the pin. He delivered a death Valley driver on him after the match. However, Rhodes came back with the shattered dreams kick two and a half stars. I really like this. I didn't expect to, uh, Meltzer had always been super critical of Dustin Rhodes in this era. I've always been a big fan of his and Rick Steiner. And it's a little interesting to see them here in late WCW with the U S title on the line. I didn't even remember this, uh, but I dug it. I dug the finish. I thought their match was uh, fun and, and somewhat believable. And of course, the uh, post-match thing with the big nut shot that got the crowd into it. What'd you think? I, I liked it too. Now, again, I understand why some people wouldn't get as excited about it, especially after you've seen a, a Ray Mysterio, Chavo Guerrero match or the six man cruiserweight match, you know, early on in the show, um, because this was more of an old school, old style, traditional wrestling, storytelling, wrestling character, you know, kind of match. This was not a, you know, millennial type match. This was a go back to the kind of core of NWA and early w, WCW uh, style of a match that, you know, this crowd got into. And I think that's, you know, one of the things people need to remember when they read what other people write about certain things, they're giving you their opinion from their perspective. Dave, you know, Dave gets off on a certain style of match, which is fine. That's his his thing. It's his choice. It's what makes him enjoy wrestling, not being critical of that, but to assume or to, to, to bury a match because it doesn't kind of scratch your individual itch, I think does a disservice to the audience that you're writing for, but more to the talent that's in that ring. Not everybody that steps into a ring is there to impress Dave Meltzer's or anybody else's sensibilities. They're there to impress and entertain the audience, which Dustin Rhodes and Rick Steiner clearly fucking did without any real recognition of such at, from Dave Meltzer in his commentary. The crowd loved it. And I, I always go back to what, and I say this, you know, I, I do this to myself, whether I like something or not is almost irrelevant. It's whether the crowd likes it. Go back and watch the crowd. Go back and watch this pay-per-view. Go to the WWE Network. It's worth it. Trust me. Watch this show. Watch this particular match. Watch how the crowd reacts to that match. And then listen to somebody shit all over it because it didn't scratch their particular fantasy itch. 
Yeah, doesn't make sense to me. I thought it was a good match. I thought the guys satisfied the audience, which is what their job really is, not to satisfy dirt sheet writers. Um, I thought they did a great job. Nothing but respect. Next up, something that uh, I was looking forward to until it happened. A totally buff promo. A big entrance here for both Lex Luger and Buff Pagwell, who both look like a million bucks. And they cut a terribly long promo. I mean, on and on and on about being a part of Flair stable about Brian Clark, not being cleared to compete about the winners of the match, getting a title shot. Of course, all this had been explained before, but man, this promo, it felt like it went forever for me. What say you? Yeah, I agree. You know, you know, there was a, I think there was a philosophy amongst a lot of talent early on in WCW and, and even while I was running things and afterwards that man, if you get that mic, squeeze every second out of it, you can more is better. Get your FaceTime in, get your mic time in. It's the most valuable thing you can do. And that's not true. It is not true. And this particular promo, all due respect to Lex, who I have nothing but respect for more so now than ever um, for the human being he's turned out to be. I admire him. He inspires me, actually. Bagwell, man, he's he's fighting the good fight, and he's doing the best he can, and, and he's he wakes up every morning, and he keeps swinging, and I respect that. But there's a point in time where if you don't have something really important to say, less is more. Leave people wanting to hear from you as opposed to making them sick and tired of hearing from you. Because when you talk more than you should, you turn people off. I got to remember that as I do these podcasts because I talk a lot. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. Where's my pen? Right here. Make it a note. (laughs) Sometimes just shut the fuck up and leave them wanting more as opposed to killing them with too much. So totally buff is out here. Of course it's buff and Lex Luger, Brian Adams, uh, starts to come out and he gets to the bottom of the ramp and turns back like, Hey, where are you? What's going on? Starts to make his way down. And then once <laughs> the action starts, we see in the very dimly lit entrance, uh, what we think is Brian Clark, uh, running down, but then Brian Adams winds up wrestling both of the guys by himself with the idea being that they beat up Clark, I suppose. But then eventually we do see Clark pop back up and he attacks Adams and we realize, wait a minute, that's not Brian Clark. That's Mike awesome with makeup and a fake mustache. I didn't remember this at all. And I have to admit, I was kind of surprised that Mike awesome did this. Not that, you know, he would have put up a fight just like, I didn't remember this at all. And I thought it was okay because I didn't understand the context of what they're trying to do. But of course, as the finish comes to a close and it looks like, oh, we're in trouble here. What happens on the ramp? Brian Clark comes down holding himself like, oh, I've been attacked backstage. And that's the big reveal with Mike awesome, kind of a clever little finish. I mean, I know some people are going to say, oh, it's overbooked. I'm not going to say it was done perfectly, but in theory, this is good old school wrestling stuff that works every time right oh it can i i I, and i guess because this this match started off so badly with the promo that it's hard to dig out of that hole yeah and 
this was early on in this podcast. I referred to some of the shady shenanigans that I wish didn't take place. This is a perfect example. And there's two back to back. We'll be talking about the next one in a minute. Well, in a few minutes. Um, but yeah, this was just a little, you know, it's, it's too much for me to really get into it. Eh, I, I could have easily passed on this one. No, I don't love it, but I do like that. They, they tried something and this is big on story, uh, maybe a little too much, but the idea that the heels have gotten the better and now they're pulling the wool over them. And there's, I mean, that's just a, a classic wrestling trope. Yeah. No, uh, and that part, I mean, the attempt was honorable. Yeah. I just think the execution, yeah. you know, was just not there. You know, Brian Adams coming out and all of a sudden realizing on a ramp that his partner wasn't there. Yeah. Um, I don't know where the fuck were you 15 minutes before you were ready to walk out where you usually, you know, you would expect, even if you're not a wrestling person that spends time in the gorilla as you and your opponent are coming out to do battle, wouldn't you kind of be warming up together or talking over a game plan or doing something? Would you be surprised when you walked out and your partner wasn't there? Would you look surprised? Yeah. I mean, it's little things like that, you know, great television, in any form of television, great movies, great books is, but especially television because television moves so fast. A book moves slow. You can tell stories differently in a book than you can in television. And even in movies, it's longer format, but in television, it's the, the combination of little details that come together perfectly that make the difference between something that's really fun to watch and something that makes you go, what the fuck? And the little details that went along in attempting to tell what would traditionally be a good story were just not there, overlooked or crushed completely. And that's what took me out of this. I I agree. The attempt to tell the story, the basic overarching um, story, good. The execution of said story, not so much. Let's get to uh, the next match. Um. Before the match, Lance Storm cuts a promo and he calls himself the greatest technical wrestler in the world. Oh, I guess we should mention before we do that, Lance Storm is in the back. Chronic is coming back, sort of licking their wounds after losing. He tries to eject them from the building, six WCW security on them. Chronic destroys the security. So they got their heat back brother. But then we see Lance Storm cutting a promo, calling himself the best technical wrestler in the world. And of course his opponent is going to be the cat and what they're battling for is the right to be commissioner. The commissionership being on the line in a match, Eric is just stupid to me, but cat and Landstorm do their best here. Melzer would say the storm did about as good of a job carrying cat as you possibly could. Oh, the, the finish me, saw Spencer. Mike Sanders come out, but Mrs. Jones first slapped him and then laid him out with a high kick and distracted storm walked into the feline two stars. They go eight minutes, seven seconds. Uh, I, I take it. You don't really agree with his assessment there. No, 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 no. And, and again, this is Dave Meltzer and his own personal agenda shitting on Ernest Miller, you know, by saying, and, and he's so nuanced in the way he does. And Lance storm did his best in carrying Ernest Miller. Fucking Ernest Miller outperformed Lance storm by a mile in this match. Ernest Miller had more energy Got the crowd behind him. First of all, let's go back to let's go back to Lance Storm. And this is going to sound like I'm beating up on Lance. I don't. I don't have anything against Lance. 
but this is a guy that likes to keep himself out there and, you know, judge other people's work and, and keep himself out there talking about his unique perspective on the wrestling industry. Lance storm never got to the seven and a half minute mark of his 15 minute of fame opportunity. All right. He just didn't. And a perfect example as to why he didn't is because he never understood heat and he still doesn't. Here is a perfect example of his lack of understanding of heat and why he never got any. There's a couple reasons why that we saw in this particular show, but he comes out as the commissioner in a babyface role. He's doing his job as a, and by the way, he did a poor job at it because he's not good at delivering dialogue. He's very stiff and it sounds like he memorized it and it comes off. Like I read this about 20 minutes ago and I'm supposed to say, you're not allowed to go back into the training room with your partner because you do not have permission. I mean, it's fuck. It was so bore. It was so bad. It, 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 it was kind of like the, uh, kind of like the Lex Luger Buff Bagwell promo. Once you start out that bad, it's hard to make it good afterwards. But that was because Lance Storm didn't know how to deliver dialogue. He didn't know how to be a character. Not his fault, I guess. He was put into a position he shouldn't have been put into because he wasn't good on the mic. But nonetheless, they put him out there anyway. But the role that he established at that point was one of more or less a babyface doing the right thing, being in control as a commissioner, hard to hate a guy like that, especially because he was doing it for the right reasons. Okay. Now to come out with his, I'm from Alberta and I'm the best technical wrestling wrestler and only Canadians should be in charge of this company. That was so fucking tired when he did it in 2001, but yet he's doing it again. And he got no heat for it. If he did, it was go away. You're fucking boring heat. Not, I want to see you die heat. It was just bad. Now, is, is Lance Storm a good technical wrestler? Absolutely. Does he have an ounce of charisma? Did he have an ounce of charisma? That's why he never was able to expire the 15-minute clock for fame. He only got to seven and a half minutes because he just didn't have it. Now, that's my opinion. It sounds harsh, but it's being as analytical as I can be within the context of Dave Meltzer's comments and this particular batch match. I challenge anybody listening to this show, go ahead, go back, watch it. You tell me who was the most entertaining person to watch in that ring. And by the way, Dave, as you're jerking yourself off watching five-star matches from the Tokyo Dome and the technical expertise that you'll never be able to achieve, but you admire so greatly, you're going to see some kicks in this match that are as legitimate or more so as any use of kicks in the history of professional wrestling, but they were controlled and they were effective and they looked great. But guess what? Nobody else can do them. You'll never see them in wrestling because everybody that throws a kick, you know, the Shawn Michaels, sorry, Shawn, got to bring it up. The green belt sidekick. When you throw a sidekick, a properly thrown sidekick, you're standing up. You don't lean over or turn your back to your opponent and kick. You would get killed. If you were a gold belt, another gold belt would kill you. If you did that, it looks stupid. It's not believable. But Ernest stands straight up, doesn't lean over, doesn't turn his back to his opponent, delivers a legitimate 
martial arts sidekick that could have taken Lance Storm's head off and deposited it back in his training academy when he had it in Alberta, Canada. He could have put it on a trophy case. It looked fantastic, but Ernest was able to stay in character while he was doing it. Oh, by the way, Dave, while you're continuing to jerk yourself off looking at old Japanese matches, because you think that is the standard by which all sports entertainment should aspire to, go back to the end of this match and look at a jump 360 round kick, which if you're 145 pounds and have been training in martial arts for 15 years is a little bit difficult to do. Ernest was about 240 and did it perfectly and didn't kill his opponent all the while staying in character. And I dare say, go back and watch the crowd reaction. And you tell me who the audience felt was delivering their money's worth. Lance Storm and his great technical wrestling and his piss poor heel character or Ernest Miller, who, by the way, had only been in the business for about three or four years up to this point. I rest my case, Your Honor. Conrad continues to bring you the best in wrestling nostalgia, from Bruce Pritchard creating in the WWE to Eric Bischoff running WCW, plus Jim Ross, Arn Anderson, and Tony Schiavone. And now, of course, Kurt Angle enters the mix each and every week. But I can assure you there's even more, and you can find it at adfreeshows.com. Conrad does not slow down as he's created even more great content with his Conversations with Conrad series, which are available in both audio and video exclusively at adfreeshows.com. The wrestling world was abuzz over his conversation with WCW executive Jim Hurd and are now talking about his latest masterpiece. For the first time ever, exclusively on adfreeshows.com, you can hear the first of his two-part interview with the owner of Jim Crockett Promotions, Jim Crockett. They, they were bigger than wrestling at that point. But when that full horseman thing came out, it was like, oh, uh-huh. I mean, that, that, was, that was it. Magnum was, was, was the future of the business. For us or Vince, it didn't matter where he was. He was going up. From the start of the Horseman to his thoughts on Magnum, it's just scratching the surface on what you will hear during this three-hour special, and it's only part one. So join the family now and catch up on Conversations with Conrad and so much more at adfreeshows.com, all ad-free. So sign up today. Join the fastest-growing wrestling community again over at adfreeshows.com. Okay, I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, I'm sorry, Conrad. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm sorry. Shout out to Lance Storm, former friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Look, here's what I mean. Lance has been critical of me. Lance came out and he's been critical of me often. I don't, I don't dislike Lance because of it. I'm giving you my honest assessment of this particular match. Do I piss and moan when Lance comes out and buries me in commentary or in, in not in commentary, but in, in interviews or social media? I don't. I don't care. His opinion is his opinion. I'll still sit down and have a beer with Lance. I don't care. 
Conrad, you 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 can certainly point out a lot of flaws in my character and personality and my, <laughs> my view of thinking. And you and I will sit down and drink lots of beer together. I don't take that shit personally. No. And I hope people like Lance Storm are big enough to hear what I have to say and go, okay, well, that's his opinion. I don't agree with it. So fuck him. And that's cool too. Next up, we've got an impromptu match. We've got Canyon and DDP wrestling, but that's not the original plan. DDP comes out first. And man, I remember watching this back this week and I was sort of overwhelmed with thinking when I see DDP come down, man, they've got the set, they've got the entrance ramp. They got the pyro. They got the video. They got the stars. They got the commentators. They got the lights. They got the building, everything that you would think you need to have a successful show on the surface, just as far as checking boxes, taking inventory, if you will. It's all here. I mean, even DDP, one of the biggest stars in the business, he's here, but there's something missing. It's just not the same WCW. Did you get that feeling watching this back that even though it feels like everything's still there, something is gone. I think the gone was the passion from the audience Yeah, and the momentum that people you know, momentum's, you know, it's an intangible kind of energy. You know, you can feel it, but you can't really pick it up and look at it or smell it or taste it. It's just, but you know, it's there. And I think WCW had lost so much momentum and energy that despite, I thought everybody on the show worked their asses off. Oh, yeah. Every single person from the referee to the main event, to the timekeeper, everybody worked their asses off on this show. But I don't know. It there was an energy lacking. I could feel it, you know, and I kept watching the crowd because again, that's what I do as a producer. I learned it's not so much what you see in the ring. It's what you see in the audience that really ultimately matters. Thank you, Elvis Presley. But even the crowd, you know, where they get into certain matches and into certain spots and outcomes. Yeah. But it wasn't a sustained energy like we would have seen a year or two or three years before. It was just different. I totally agree. Let's uh, let's talk about what happens here. DDP comes out, and then we hear the music for Jeff Jarrett. He comes out with a guitar in his right hand and a microphone in his left hand. And he says, Dallas Page, I want to remind you of something you just said. And he calls the production truck guy, slap nut, says play the video. And you see video of, uh, DDP cutting a promo and he says, Canyon, anytime, any place, anywhere. And they replay that various times. And he says, Hey, so you've uh, written that you've let your mouth write a check that your old decrepit body can't cash. Get on out here, Canyon. And as everyone is waiting for Canyon to come down the ramp, Canyon comes out from under the ring and, uh, hits DDP from behind it's a little sneak attack Jones here. Meltzer would say they had a hot match page juice from having his face jammed into the ring steps page hit a killer Uranagi for a near fall page kicked out after a Canyon cutter and used another near fall after Canyon collided with Jarrett. after a ref bump, Jarrett hit the stroke on page and Canyon pinned him with the flatliner three and a quarter stars. I like this match. I thought it worked. A lot of it is probably because these guys have real life chemistry and I can't help, but wonder at this point, we know that. Canyon is a loyal soldier backstage and helps WCW and the other talent in a lot of ways, 
but he's also one of DDP's boys. Do you think DDP would have been the guy to go and say, Hey, let me work with Canyon in a minute. I mean, in a minute for all the right reasons, as well as some selfish ones, if I'm DDP and I want to go out, look, I mean, here's the reality. Now Paige and I were friends. So obviously he wasn't concerned about new ownership, perhaps the way some people would be. Right. But Paige doesn't think like that. Paige is like, if there's new people coming in here, I know Bish is my friend, but if there's new people coming in here, I'm, I'm putting out a fucking show. Yeah. If there's going to be, if there's going to be a new captain of this ship, I want that captain to know diamond Dallas pages name. That's how diamond Dallas page thinks. He's the consummate promoter and he wanted to go out and have the best match he could possibly have. Why would you not tag in Chris Canyon for that opportunity? Chris was amazing and they did have great chemistry. They probably spent days, if not weeks, laying out, talking about blocking, working on this match because they were both so passionate and both had such great work ethic. So why would you not want to do that if you're Diamond Dallas Page? There would be nobody better to have a match with than Chris Canyon at this point in time if you were Diamond Dallas Page. I love the match. This is another... You know, shady shenanigans with Jeff Jarrett making the match. How does that happen? Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, you know, whoa, whoa, not just a little weird. That's a fucking disconnect. That's the power going off at three o'clock in the morning when it's yeah. 20 degrees below zero outside. That ain't just a little bit of thing. That's a big thing. How the fuck does that happen? Right. When you disconnect me, when you pull my attention plug, when, when I'm, when you've got me sucked in, and then you pull the plug because none of it makes sense and you can't explain it. You don't even attempt to explain it. You just lose me. And that the Jeff Jarrett performance here, and I'm not picking on Jeff. I love Jeff. Jeff's a good friend of mine. Um, but putting Jeff out there, whoever did, whether it was Jeff's idea or Gary Taylor's idea or Ed Ferrara's idea, it doesn't matter whose ever idea it was. For Jeff to go out there and set this match up this way, completely unplugged the believability or the plausibility or any hope for suspension of disbelief. It was just like, eh, gimmick, eh. And that hurt the quality of the match. Had the match been set up differently in a more believable way, a more credible way with a little bit of story behind it, other than, hey, go look at this video. Remember when you said that? Oh, that was so dumb. But whatever. The match was fantastic. The setup sucked. Shady shenanigans. No shady shenanigans, please. None. Why do you keep saying those words that way? Because I was listening to a podcast on my way home from your house, actually, a couple weeks ago. It was a really good podcast. And it was it was a very serious podcast about a, a young woman who grew up whose 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 father and ultimately her husband became drug dealers down along the border in Mexico. And in this podcast, she talked about her life growing up and all of her experiences and what made her realize with the deck stacked completely against her to take another direction in her life. And she kept saying, I know my husband was up to some shady things and I knew he was doing some shenanigans, but I loved him anyway. And Lori and I, every time this, woman would say shady or shenanigan, we would crack up. So I've been saying shady shenanigans ever since. All righty. 
Are you glad you asked? I am. Yeah, that was a rabbit hole I wasn't expecting. So we've got DDP wrestling immediately with Jeff Jarrett. They go eight minutes and 30 seconds. Meltzer would say both of these matches were cut in time because the show was running long. Uh, they do a DDT on the table, but it doesn't break. And ultimately Jarrett goes to hit page with a guitar. He moves and hits Canyon instead. And then page gives Jarrett a diamond cutter. There's your finish three and a half stars. DDP moving on to the main event next month, I think is the plan here. Uh, what'd you think? Did you like the match better with page and Jarrett? I, I actually preferred the Canyon one, but I didn't hate Jeff here. No, I didn't hate it either. I love the Canyon one probably because it just felt a little fresher and maybe because I miss Chris Canyon and, and see him in peak performance probably just hit me in the feels the right way. So I, maybe I viewed the match a little differently than I maybe otherwise would. Um, and I felt like I've seen Jeff and, and page so many times that it didn't feel new to me. It's not taking anything away from what they did. It's just the Chris Canyon element of it felt a little more, I don't know, fresh. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get to our main event. Uh, the main rivalry here is Scott Steiner and Kevin Nash. Steiner had retained the title against road warrior animal, Sid vicious and Jeff Jarrett in that four corners match at sin the following night, Steiner cut a promo on injuring Vicious's leg and forcing Goldberg out of WCW. And we've got a match here. It's a collision course before the match, the magnificent seven, which is a group we don't talk about a lot because it only lasted two months. It's Ric Flair, Jeff Jarrett, both the Steiner brothers, Lex Luger, Buff Bagwell and animal. Um, what can you tell us about the magnificent seven? Was this going to be part of the the new big bang moving forward, fusion media, the reset, or was this nope. just the, okay. That was, that was some kind of hangover from whatever oh. was going on before this. So our main event, Scott Steiner gets the win, uh, two out of three falls, Kevin Nash, 11 minutes and four seconds. Flair announced before the match, it was loser leaves town. And throughout the day, they had done a gimmick where all the faces, whether it was Conan or cat or chronic or Rhodes, they're ordered out of the building by Flair. So during the pregame, this is all from Meltzer's, uh, Meltzer's write up. Also during the pregame show in a strange bit of advertising, they said they had no idea if the main event would even take place. Great way of getting those last minute buys. They'll sacrifice income by telling people the main event may not happen just to get a pop because a guy comes out of a wheelchair. That's the kind of surprise booking that a company making money can afford, but a company losing money can't. Oh, cause Dave knows all about booking. Well, no wait, He does. I forget people who have studied people who study Dave Meltzer's booking are some of the, they actually win awards. Do you realize that? Do you know that Dave Meltzer is the, uh, has a doctor of philosophy in wrestling booking. And there are people who actually study him and they win awards, even though Dave has never spent five minutes in a wrestling company and isn't, he hasn't even worked in catering but yet he understands wrestling booking and what companies that are making money should do and what companies that aren't making money should do. Fucking genius. Well, go out of your way to read his, uh, butch read obituary this week. It is fantastic. Uh, next up Nash comes out in a wheelchair. He's got two hot nurses. 
Uh, and then he gets up showing the cast was a fake. He clocks Steiner with the title belt and pins him in 17 seconds. Flair then orders the match to go two or three falls. Page is staggering around backstage and Luger and Bagwell put him in a box to eliminate him. Steiner juices. Madeja distracts Nash for Steiner to hit him with a pipe on the floor. Uh, this feels like uh, a game of clue. Uh, it was, Cur- it was Colonel Nash with the pipe on the floor. Uh, with Nash on the floor, Flair announced it's now a no, uh, a falls count anywhere match. And Charles Robinson counts the pin at two minutes and 30 seconds of fall two. Nash then juices from a chair shot, but breaks out of the recliner quote. No one has ever broken the hold, but of course Goldberg already had, uh, Nash comes back out with a choke slam. Adesia stops Robinson from counting. And after a power bomb by Nash, Madeja again, breaks up the pin. Nash eventually, eventually gives Madeja a side slam. And, uh, yeah, I think she's done with the company at that point. Nash goes <laughs> for the pin, but flair pulls Robinson out and attacks him. Nash goes after flair that allows Steiner to hit the low blow, a chair shot to the head and old slick Johnson comes out and signals for the bell as Steiner puts Nash in the recliner star and three quarters. This is just too heavy on Gaga, too heavy on story with all the weapons and all the interference and the fake casts and the wheelchair. It's just a lot of overbooked stuff. what do you think? Too many shenanigans, man. Yeah. Too many. Here's though. I popped so hard early on in this match that the rest of the misery that we had to live through didn't matter to me. The highlight of this match, the highlight of the entire pay-per-view with that's not true. That's going too far. One of the highlights of this pay-per-view was when Kevin Nash came out of the wheelchair with his leg in a cast with a little blanket over him. Everybody thought he had a broken leg. He gets up out of the wheelchair, does his damage. And he says, I guess, no, I guess I wasn't quite as hurt as I appeared. That is a direct line out of tombstone. Yeah. Val Kilmer's character, doc holiday meets Johnny Ringo out by the old Oak tree. Ringo, of course, thought that Doc Holliday was lying dead, dying from tuberculosis because, well, Doc Holliday faked everybody out because he wasn't quite as thick as I made out. And he ends up putting a bullet in Johnny Ringo's forehead. It was fucking awesome. It was the best line in a movie filled with classic lines. I guess I wasn't quite as sick as I made out. Come on. That was just awesome. And when Kevin pulled that out of his ass and used that very line, he did it so well and so effectively. Only people who saw Tombstone and love it like I do recognize that line. Anybody who didn't watch Tombstone went, wow, that was fucking awesome. Good line. It was great. The rest of the crap that happened after with, uh, afterwards, honestly, I watched it. I didn't pay attention to it. It just... Yeah. <laughs> shenanigans you know how i am just ah, move on and by that time after i heard that line i was so excited to do this podcast i actually quit paying attention to the rest of the schmas star in three quarters is what it gets on the observer and it was written at the time by a lot of fans 
this was the worst WCW pay-per-view main event since warrior Hogan. I know that match didn't go on last, but that was, that was a stinker. And this was up there too. What do you think? I'm sorry. Repeat the question again. Is this the worst WCW main event since Hogan warrior on a pay-per-view? If it's not, then it deserves to be in contention. I probably have to go back and look at some stinkers, but yeah, top five, at least top three, maybe there's been some bad ones. So it might be hard for me sitting here just to go. Yeah, it was the worst without going back and doing a little research, but it was definitely uh, in contention. Meltzer would say largely due to a combination of a strong work rate and a very responsive crowd. This show turned out to be far better than it looked to be on paper as it was a solid thumbs up show. The main event saw a takeoff of an old WWF storyline with Vince McMahon, this time with flair announcing as an impromptu loser leaves WCW stipulation and then changing the match stipulation to two out of three falls. Once Nash quickly won with most of the key baby faces banned from the building Nashville victim to constant interference from flair and Medesha before losing in the end, which due to a storyline, a lot more than anything else that happened to the ring ended up pretty heated. I kind of agree. The fans were into this man. I mean, they were responding. I guess this worked for Tennessee and overall the readers didn't hate it. 70% thumbs up. What would you say? I know you don't like thumbs up. So give me one to 10. What do you, what do you give this one? One to 10. Well, yeah, you know, Dave's uh, 70% thumbs up is consistent with my, as I said early on, I, I think this was on my scale of one to 10, I'd give it a seven, seven and a half. So I guess, you know, whether it's 70% thumbs up or a scale of one to 10 being my seven or seven and a half, we're pretty much saying the same thing. Yeah. I, I liked a lot of it. The, the shenanigans at the end and the main event and with Jeff Jarrett and even an Alex Luger buff match, um, I didn't really like, and it probably wouldn't been as bad had it not all happened. Like within the same 45 minute window, it made it seem worse. Had it been spread out a little bit throughout the show. Um, maybe it wouldn't have been as, um, distasteful to me as it was, but having all of those shenanigans happen in a relatively short period of time is kind of, it takes you out of the, it takes you out of the moment. It takes you out of the feel. You know what I mean? You just, eh, I wish they wouldn't have done that. Oh, I wish they wouldn't have done that again. Oh my God. Now they're doing it again. Not the way you want to end the show. Mr. Dykstra says, uh, I know you weren't there in 2001, but what were your thoughts on big Papa pump as the top guy? I, I think, I think Scott Steiner was really at his peak at this point. I mean, his, he'd come to terms with his inability to really put together a coherent promo. And then rather than try to fix it, he just used it. And he, he did some, like he did some promo new jujitsu. You know, he used his own limitations as momentum and kind of turned those ridiculous promos into kind of cult favorites. And they actually worked and the audience loved them and anticipated them. And it was getting him over. Um, and he was having fun doing it. So I think you know, physically he might not have been at his peak, but cause he'd had a couple injuries, but I think as a character, he was most definitely at his peak during this time. So I was pretty cool with it. Will says, was Sean O'Hare penciled in for a huge singles run had Fusion purchased WCW? I think he would have been. Sean had a lot of great attributes. He had the look, he had the ability, 
you know, in-ring ability. He had charisma. He had that, you know, that, that intangible element that can't be learned in a wrestling school or you can't take a pill and get it or take a shot and get it or read about it in a book and learn it. It's just, you know, God either gave it to you or he didn't. And Sean Hare had had it in abundance. So Sean O'Hare did. Yeah, I think he would have gone on to become a player. Ray LaDuke wants to know, totally buffed, great name or greatest name? Eh, overused, contrite, eh. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Will Tynor says I once read that even though Bob mold had recently left the company, he was trying to convince WCW to sign a very young CM Punk to the cruiserweight division around this time. Did CM Punk's name ever come up when scouting new cruiserweights? As far as you know, no, uh, <laughs> we have so many joke tweets on here. Hazard writes. I've always felt that Canyon didn't get the credit he deserved for his talent and was way ahead of his time by probably 10 to 15 years. I think he could have been a major player in the 2010 to 2015 climate. Do you agree? And why do you think he never achieved more success in the business? I do agree. And I think it's, I'm, I'm trying to think there's a, there's a song that I listened to. I think it's by the band Perry called when I die young. And it's a really good song. I have it on my playlist because it tells a story about a young lady a young girl who dies at a very young age before she's ever had a chance to really be in love or, or really experience the things that most young girls grow up hoping to experience. And one of the lines in her, in that song is, you know, your songs are worth so much more when you're a goner. And it's kind of like, my response is similar to that with regard to Chris Canyon. Now that he's gone, and now we can look back at his body of work as little of it as there was, unfortunately, still enough of it to go back and look and go, wow, he was way better than we realized. And I think his impression, the impression that he made on the audience, the things that he, Chris innovated in the ring, his ability to tell story in a physical manner, which is the art form that we call professional wrestling was so far ahead of everybody else's in terms of innovation that nobody appreciated it until he was a goner referencing the song, not to make light. And it's unfortunate, but I like to hope that Chris recognizes now that we're recognizing him. One of the greats, one of the unsung heroes of professional wrestling. And that's going to put a bow on super brawl revenge today. We're going to be back next week. And next week we're doing a bio. We're going to be talking about your old mentor, Vern Gagne. What do you think we might talk about next week, Eric? God, I don't know, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm going to do, I'll do my homework and make sure that I've done 
sufficient amount of research to do Mr. Gagne justice. I know he is not without controversy. He is, he is not an individual in the industry who doesn't have people who feel quite a bit differently about him than I do. But my perspective, I've got nothing but immense respect for the man and, and, and certainly grateful for, to him for what I've been able to do in my life. So I look forward to this. Next up, we've got something kind of fun. It's going to be a watch along from March 3rd, 1997. This is the final show from the Omni. This is where Roddy Piper has a bunch of tryouts. One of our most requested topics will be your way on March 8th. That'll be victory road, 2011. Yes, it is that infamous show. On the 15th of March, we're going to cover the very last WCW pay-per-view. It was called greed kind of fitting on the 22nd. We're going to do a bio again on the former Mr. Perfect. And then we'll wrap up the month of March, breaking down the supposed big bang. But right now, early and ad free, you can get all these shows that we have in the can and lots of bonus content, including fires back, which I've seen uh, some of the reviews online and the response online, Eric. People seem to think this might be your best one yet. Well, that makes me feel good because my goal is to satisfy our audience. And if I can make our audience happy and feel like they've gotten their money's work, that is all I need to hear to inspire me to do more and get even better. So I I love to hear that. Thank you. Don't forget the new Jim Crockett interview part one over three hours. I think it is the definitive Jim Crockett interview. It's available now at adfreeshows.com. We'll be back next week talking all things Vern Gagne right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. Savewithconrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Matthew up in Delaware. We hooked him up. He gave us a five-star review and here's what he had to say. I'm a first time home buyer and the first time refinancing. And of course he puts in parentheses here. After continual encouragement to do so from Conrad on his podcast. Well, Jimmy and the team were knowledgeable, friendly, and flexible with me as I learned about the process. They made everything simple and took care of all my questions and needs. The text message feature from Jimmy was ideal. The process led to me taking five years off of my mortgage. Really think about that. Five years gone. Now, you know what your mortgage payment is to the penny. Multiply it by 60. Because when you cut five years worth of payments off, that's how much money right away gone. We're talking a ton of cash. Let's say it's just a thousand dollars a month is your house payment. That's 60 grand. If your house payment's two grand a month, that's 120 grand worth of house payments. You don't have to make. This is a no brainer. If you're overpaying and you can pay less, why wouldn't you let us run the numbers and just have the peace of mind of knowing that you've got the best deal possible for your family with first family. Get a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. It's no cost, no obligation. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. We're licensed in more than 40 states. So what are you waiting for? Savewithconrad.com. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Come on. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. All right. Now for something a little different, you're all familiar by now with the most hated jeweler in America. Uh, but that's a bit of a rib as we say in the wrestling business, because Steven singer is with us and boy, Steven, we need some good news. And you have some great news about what you guys are doing over at. I hate Steven singer.com. 
We do. First of all, thanks for having me. It's great to see you. It's, even if we have to do it via Skype, I wish I was there with you in person, and I can't wait till this stupid virus is done and we don't have to be in spacesuits and I could hang out with you in person <laughs> and uh, we could have some fun. I have to tell you, before we start, you've made me into a hero because my nephew and all his friends, when I told them what I'm doing today and who I'm talking to, they are unbelievable giant wrestling fans. Oh, he cool. said, you're kidding me. You're going to talk to him in this I said, yeah, so I became, you know, before I was a loser. Now I'm like a popular guy with these guys. I'm, I'm way up there now, you know what I mean, with that. And I showed him some of the pictures and the memorabilia and different things. And, man, oh, man, I became a hero overnight. It was just like I'm climbing in the ring with you. So I thank you for that. No, that man, thank you. And listen, I, I want to thank you because I get tagged in tweets every day with listeners who took advantage of your new rose this year, which is a, a bit of a Valentine's Day tradition. And, uh, you've got some really cool stuff coming up for mother's day, but really what you're doing to give back right now, when we're all in, I don't know, uh, uncharted territory with this virus, it's pretty phenomenal. And, and I'm glad we get to talk about that today. Tell everybody what you're doing. Well, thank you so much for that. Well, this actually happened as an accident, um, last March when they first shut down the country because of this, this virus and the coronavirus, and nobody really knew what was going on. We decided that we were going to take all of our sales from March through May to Mother's Day, and we were going to take a portion of it and go to local restaurants and local hospitals in our backyard, which in this case is Philly, New York, New Jersey, Harrisburg, you know, Washington, Baltimore, like in our kind of regional area, and um, try to reward these frontline heroes, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the technicians. Uh, I mean, people, people that wheel you in the chair, everybody that works in the hospital that's going into this and they, they're going, wearing all masks up and they're wearing all kinds of stuff, you know, to, to do it. And they're like firemen or police running into it. You know yeah. what I mean? And everybody else is trying to stay home and stay away from everybody. So we, we go to these local restaurants. Um, somebody orders a gift from us. We take a portion of that. You don't have to do a thing. It's automatic. Every single thing that anybody buys, whether it's a $50,000 got diamond engagement ring a $59 rose, a hundred dollar neck, doesn't matter what it is. We take a portion of it. We go to a local restaurant, like a small independent restaurant. We have them cater it and we feed the whole hospital, all the doctors, all the nurses, everybody that's in that hospital. And they do it safely. You know, they're individual stuff. Like at Thanksgiving, we did it. We did it Christmas. We did it New Year's. We're going to do it Valentine's day. Um, and then we do it every week in addition to it, but especially the holidays Right. So for Valentine's day. We have heart-shaped pizzas that we had made, That's and we're getting, all the hospitals are getting heart-shaped pizzas. They're getting heart-shaped cakes, all kinds of heart-shaped stuff uh, to go with it. You know, all individual, so all safe. You know, what I mean that type of thing. So every it's a four-way win. Somebody orders a gift for their loved one, their right. sweetheart, their girlfriend, their mother, their daughter, whoever it is, uh, on IHateStevenSinger.com, whatever it is. They get the gift. Um, they get the pleasure of getting the gift and giving this money to charity. Then the person gets a great gift, and then they get an email that says part of this went to feed this hospital, and it shows you all the pictures. They could click on the pictures of all the different hospitals all over the country and all the different restaurants. And anybody that wants to, like if you have somebody in your circle of friends or family that works in a hospital, or you, God forbid, I hope you don't, but have somebody that's in the hospital, we'll, we'll steer it towards them because we want to do it where we have relationships. Right. So we've done it in Texas, in Colorado, in California. Uh, in Utah, we, we've done it in Louisiana, I mean, all over the country, just er everywhere, everywhere you can. Indianapolis, we just did one. Uh, we just did one in California. And um, 
So we'll go to a local restaurant, we get whatever their specialty is, right. we get catered, you know what I mean? And then we send it over to the hospital and feed the hospital and give, and they, I just get hundreds of texts and thank yous and emails and cards and calls. And the people, they, you know, they need an attaboy. They need to say thank you and they need that hug. You know what I mean? Yep. And when they're short of the PPP, uh, the PPE equipment and they're short, uh, and it's difficult to do all these things and they, you know, you and I, you know, you're in the fun business, you're yeah. in the entertainment business and fun and you give people joy. I'm in the love business. You know what I mean? They get, nobody comes to me and gets a ring cause you know, grandma died. Right. Everybody comes to me cause it's, it's, they're getting engaged. It's Valentine's day. It's Christmas. I'm only dealing with fun stuff. Right. These hospitals, you know I mean? Many patients do very well and they, they give their heart and soul, but sometimes they don't do well. Right. And it takes an emotional toll on them. So it's been so rewarding. We had only planned on doing it for that couple months. We're doing it now all year and we're going to do it until this virus is over. So wow. if it's all of 2021, I hope it's over in a month, but if it takes all the rest of this year, if it takes part of the following year, every week we're going to go around and do uh, hospitals all over the country. We want to try to get to every state and where the need is the most. So you can get a great, as you mentioned, we have the new rose this year for, for Valentine's day. It's called twinkle, twinkle. That's it's right. a deep baby blue. It's the color of like the night sky. This is the way I describe it. When the stars start to come out and this is a deep navy blue and it has uh, little sparkles in it. that looks like the night sky sparkling. It's very, very popular. A matter of fact, um, I, I hope not, but by the time your, uh, your fans, everybody hear this, we may be sold out because they're selling unbelievably. And, uh, as you know, we have a whole collection. We have about 60 different colors. And every year we come out with a new uh, premium color for Valentine's Day for the collectors. But um, we also have these in 24 karat yellow gold. We have them in platinum, wow. which is the metal. And we have them in rose gold, which is pink color. So now people can collect them and we have a display that goes with it. So you can get a dozen display and every year just put another rose in there until you build this beautiful big bouquet. And they're all, if you want to see what they look like, you can go online to IHateStevenSinger.com or StevenSingerJewelers.com or our YouTube channel or Facebook, and you can see how to put it together, what that looks like. And as you know, the great thing is, because you and I are the same, guys are stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't know what the hell to do. And they always do it late, and they always do it wrong. For $59, starting at 59 bucks, you got a gift that lasts forever. You know, It's not like real flowers are great. I'm not saying no, but a week later, 10 days later, they're in the trash, right? You know, this for the same money, you have it, it lasts forever. And, um, it's just been one of the, one of the great things. And we have a lot of great jewelry. We have a thing called the star of love, uh, which is an eight pointed star with a heart cut out of it. It's 128 bucks, real diamonds, precious metal deliveries, free gift packaging's free. The personal love note from you free. Everything's included. There's no gotchas. There's no add ons. There's no secret codes. There's no sales. We're very transparent. Everything you, if, we're like you. Every, you tell everybody the truth, whether they want to hear it or not. You tell <laughs> your opinion. You know sure. what I mean? Whether they want to hear it. And your guests come on. You expect them to be honest and transparent. Say, right. you know, what that, what's going on? And it's one of the reasons I think you're successful. I like to say that we are the jewelry version of Conrad. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I don't work as hard as you. I don't have as many, many different, you know, I'm not working as many hours as you, but. Yeah, so that's what we got going on, and your, I mean, all your fans, man, are just killing it. I mean, 
we get so many great, um, so much feedback from all the wrestling fans all over the country. And it's just, it, you know, it just, I just hear, there's not a day that goes by that I don't hear your name in some positive aspect. Um, that something's going on. Well, man, that makes my day. I appreciate you saying that one more time though. How much is shipping free and, and what's the special promo code they need to use? No promo code. It doesn't get any easier than that. And, and by the way, as a reminder, not only do you get a great gift that will last forever, it's free shipping. It's fast. There's no promo code. And maybe best of all, you're going to be helping local restaurants and local hospitals, the frontline workers who really need our help. Steven, this is an awesome campaign. Kudos to you and your crew for doing this. Well, I got to tell you what's funny is, and I mean this sincerely, I feel a little bit guilty and a little bit selfish because I think that myself and my crew, my staff, we get more out of it than anybody else because it's really, we're so lucky and so blessed that our business is 40 years old this year and we're doing so well because we have so many repeat customers and referrals from repeat customers over 40 years that not only did during the pandemic, did we do good? We're actually doing better than a normal year, which is bizarre. Right. I guess people just really want to say, you know, I love you, or I'm so lucky to have you in my life. You know what I mean? I'm so happy that you're alive and well and celebrate those things. And more people are getting engaged than ever because of this whole situation. So, um, like my dry cleaner, when it just closed up, they went out of business. I've been using this dry cleaner for 20 years, but nobody's getting dressed for work anymore. Right. Everybody doing this, they're on Skype or zoom or some remote type of dial in. So I felt terrible. And, um, we've been so fortunate that I wanted to give something back and this has been so rewarding. And then we find that people, because they're doing it and they're getting these great gifts that they want to do extra because they want to send more hospitals and more food. There you go. So it's just been an absolute, you know, I'm not that smart. We just bumble into this. It was just an accident and we did it and it's been working out really, really, really great. And it's, it's, you know, I felt like you and everybody else, a little bit down in the dumps with everything that's going on, sure. you know, politically and, you know, with the nation being what it is and especially this virus. And this is making me kind of see the humanity of it and yes. feel a lot better about everything that we're doing. Um, and you know, and, and your partnership and getting this out to all your fans is, I can't even thank you enough. And I can't thank you enough. We really appreciate your support and to know that, you know, we've got sponsors like you who are, are stepping up and doing something nice for everybody. It's just, it's humbling, man. We really appreciate all your support and I hope everybody listening to this, will at least go check out. I hate Steven singer.com. Not only again, will you get a great gift for someone very special in your life, but you're going to be given the best gift of all. And that's uh, support for our frontline workers right now that we desperately need. So thanks for taking a few minutes today, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you uh, to all your fans and everybody that, that follows you for embracing us and taking us in, in, in and God bless everybody. Stay safe and you know, stay healthy. We're at the, hopefully we're at the tail end of this. The next several months, we'll get it all squared away and things will get better and we can go see wrestling in person. Yes. You know what I mean? Have some fun. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it, man. Thank you for everything. Thanks. That's, Talk to you soon. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Hit it up right now. You'll be glad you did. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs>
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.